Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Well, welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, June 12th, and we are in week two of our summer teaching series that was we are walking through 12 parables uh, that Jesus taught uh, in his earthly ministry. And and parables, as we as we encountered last week, are these just short stories that Jesus uses in order to uh, correct us, right? They are corrective in nature. They're corrective in intent. Jesus is using them to uh, come in the back door of his listeners' lives, right? He's not kicking down the front door, but he's giving them pictures that they can associate with, that they can understand, that they will even even often agree to. And it'll, as we see today, as we saw today in the unworthy, the parable of the unworthy servants, they're gonna they're gonna agree to the to the to the reality that Jesus is speaking to, but he does it in a way to disarm them and then to come into the back door of their lives and to give them a clarified vision of something better. And that clarified vision of something better often comes with a, again, a correction of where we have fallen short. And so this morning we are explored the parable of the, um, of the unworthy servant or the unprofitable servant, depending on your translation of what that, that section is titled. And last week we, we looked at the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And so we've got some great questions that have come in here this week, and then even uh, throughout the week last week about uh, about the uh, the parable of the wise and foolish builders. So we're going to start. We're going to start with a, with a question from last week here, as we are in Matthew chapter seven. Last week, the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. And the one the one question that came in for that it was this: um, How do I conquer the areas of my life where I am? The foolish builder, and so in that in that parable, what Jesus does is he contrasts two builders: one who builds on the rock, and one who builds on the sand. When the storms come, uh, the one who built on the sand, because there's no firm, they've not built on a firm foundation, their house is destroyed. But the one who built on the rock, because they prioritized the need for a firm foundation, uh, their house their house stands and stays firm. Uh, yeah, yeah, still encounters the storm, right? So it's to weather the storm. So Jesus doesn't. Offer this uh, this miraculous uh, retention of the house that was built on the rock, but but is prioritizing giving an image there of the importance of a firm foundation. Now, obviously, uh, when we unpack that parable, um, Jesus is our firm foundation, right? Our lives would be built on him, and and what he's speaking to in that parable, as we as we noted last week, was the, the storms that come. Yes, we can we can read that parable and go, okay, the storms of life. We get that. We can see that. But the storm that he was really speaking about and speaking to in that in that parable was that of the coming judgment, the storm of the coming judgment and of God's judgment, God's final judgment ultimately. And so what he's saying is to reminding those that are listening to him that if we are if we take seriously uh, his call to faith and and his call and his offer of life, then then our lives are made firm, made steady on a firm foundation. Who is Jesus. And then in that, we are also then to take seriously the call to obedience, because remember the key words in that parable were hearing and doing. He says, Jesus says, whoever hears my words and does them, so whoever hears the teachings of Jesus and obeys them will be like the person on the uh, who builds on the rock. And whoever does not or whoever hears my words and does not do them, whoever hears my words and does not obey them, hears my teachings and does not obey them, will be like the foolish builder who builds on the sand. 
they will be, their lives will be ultimately destroyed, right? So Jesus is taking, he's not giving us an excuse here. He's saying, uh, if you're going to put your faith in me, if you're going to follow me, it, it, it is going to be proven in the substance of your obedience. So Jesus takes obedience very seriously. And I think it's a, I think this question is, is a great question because it is important for us to place ourselves in the position of the foolish builder in that parable. How are we like the foolish builder in some cases. Remember, the foolish builder, it wasn't an accident that he built on the sand. It wasn't even incidental. Like, you know, oh, this just happened uh, uh, that he built on the sand. He purposefully and willingly ignored the need for a firm foundation. That's what that's what that would have come across to the original audience there as Jesus was speaking. So this foolish builder, someone who willfully ignores uh, the need for a firm foundation. And so the question that comes that again came in, how do I conquer the areas of my life where I am like the foolish builder? And as we talked about obedience last week, we we were reminded of this truth of obedience that obedience is a life long pursuit, that we are going to be uh, and we should be consistently uh, a working to be increasingly obedient to Jesus. We should be increasingly obedient to the word of God. And, and so uh, so by God's grace, he has given us his Holy Spirit to weed out those areas of our lives where we feel like um, that there is or not where we feel like, by God's grace, he's given us his Holy Spirit to weed out the areas of our lives where we are like the foolish builder, okay? Where we are willfully ignoring, we say to God, I don't need you, I'm good, I'm fine, I know best in this area, I'm going to be just fine, I'm going to build my house on the sand, or I'm going to allow this area of my life to not be exposed or changed or shaped or informed or influenced by the truth of your word. Um, and, and so by God's grace, he's given us his Holy Spirit to continually weed out areas of our lives like that. And we, we have them. We have them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that even in this life, when we've encountered God's love, the perfection of God's love, uh, who is through Jesus, embodied through Jesus, experienced uh, by, by the fullness of God's grace at the moment of salvation and routinely in the forgiveness of God, um, we still see through a mirror dimly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We still see it through a mirror dimly. Yet when perfection comes, when we are with Jesus, uh, when we are in the perfect age, we will see perfectly, right? So Paul even reminds us here, hey, this thing of obedience is a lifelong pursuit. It is something where we will grow increasingly with, or we should grow increasingly with, with Jesus. So again, so how do I, how do I conquer the areas of my life where I'm like the foolish builder? One, step one is, is this, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you those areas. He wants to reveal those areas to you. The Holy Spirit is uh, is called our parakletos. He's our advocate. He's the one who cries out. Um, and to those who do not know Jesus, he's crying out the, the to give them a clear picture of who Jesus is. To those who do know Jesus, he's, he's crying out the truth of Scripture to us. He's reminding us of who we are in Christ. And he's rebuking us and correcting us of the the sin and the brokenness and the rebellion that still lives in us as we are growing in likeness with Jesus. So step one, uh, just invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Invite the Holy Spirit into your heart um, or to examine the contents of your heart. In Psalm 19, David asked God to search him and to expose the hidden sins that are within him, right? Um, and we've said it this way, uh, Jesus is in my heart, grandpa's in my bones. There's the lingering things inside of us that God 
continually wants to refine. It might even be an area that we've already seen God refine. We've already had victory in, yet there's still more work to be done. God wants to continually refine us ever more, right? And so invite the Holy Spirit into uh, your life, into your to examine your life, to examine the contents of your heart. Uh, when he speaks to you, he'll speak to you through scripture. He'll speak to you through other people, right? Um, he will speak to you through prayer. Uh, so be aware of those things. And then, and then continually, continually affirm and align your life with the truth of Scripture. So how do you overcome uh, the areas of your life or how do you conquer the areas of your life where you're a foolish builder? Do you know what God's truth says? Do you know what God's word says in that area? And, and then when you know what the truth is and the Holy Spirit has you know, uncovered that area of your life, right? So you are aware of, of the area or the thing that you are acting like a foolish builder in. Well, then do you have do you have community around you? Do you have people who can support you, who are praying for you? Sometimes we just uh, we need to just confess some of those areas. We need, we need to confess them with a trusted individual or individuals who are not going to judge us. And but they're going to be able to say, hey, I hear you. Um, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Uh, often what is what is done in the dark uh, will only find healing when it's brought into the light. And so that doesn't mean that we confess our, our deepest, darkest sins to uh, just anybody or to a large group. Um, but is there somebody in your life, somebody in your corner, that you can you can go and confess those sins to or just talk about those struggles with? Um, and so a guy will place people in your life for that. And then uh, take it day by day. Right, take it day by day. Spirits, the spirits uncovered, the spirits revealed, the the word of God has revealed God's preferences for that area of your life, and and you know you've got maybe hope you got community coming around alongside of you. But uh, then we take obedience day by day. Right, uh, we are never called to have uh, perfect obedience, and and we are never called to. Um, to be able to just have victory. Some of us will have victory in, in certain areas once and for all, right? We'll have this this victory over over a sin area or an area of struggle, and it's like, man, I got victory over it, and I've never struggled with it again. That's amazing. Um, that's not always been my story, personally, right? And so um, one of the areas that I am continually uh, having to step and walk in obedience with God is is that of, of of my temper. And I've shared that before in different sermons, and it's something that I've come by naturally. And so there's part of my personality that, you know, can be very competitive. And alongside of that comes with a, a fiery temper. And God's done, a, God's done significant work in that area. He has grown me in patience. Often that has looked like by putting me in situations where I needed to grow in patience. But uh, I, it's, it's a daily monthly, yearly thing, right? And while I have victory in that area in some places, all of a sudden there'll be an experience or something that'll come out and I'll go, oh, okay, I need to I need to work on that again, right? I had an experience like that with one of my kids recently where, um, where I went, if I wasn't your dad, if I was your youth pastor, if I was a youth worker, if I was, if you were, if I was a volunteer in the children's ministry and you were in my, in my room, would I be reacting to you in the same way, right? And in that moment, what I truly believe is it was God's spirit speaking to me and saying, hey, I'm going to chip away at you on this one again, right? There's, there's still some more growth here. So let's, let's take it day by day, taking faithful steps of obedience uh, towards Jesus's 
preferences, towards God's preferences that are, that are exposed in the Word of God. And allowing the Holy Spirit to just check our motives, check our intentions, and, and to really to check uh, the, the perspectives of our hearts uh, in, in those moments. And so, um, so yeah, so how do we conquer those things? Uh, expose it to the Holy Spirit. Expose it to the Word of God. Uh, get in community with people who are going to keep you accountable to those things, and then take it day by day so that we can take increasing steps. Because most often we, we, uh, we have significant victory step by step, not just like once and done victory. We want once and done victory, but often it is following Jesus step by step that gives us this long-term uh, victory. So love that question. Just love the honesty of, of, of wrestling with uh, the idea of obedience and, and how do I have obedience and how do I have victory in the areas of my life where I'm, you know, maybe feeling like I'm, I am ignoring what God is calling me into or what God's preferences are in those areas. We all have those areas. It's something Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. There's no temptation that is uncommon to man, right? So if you feel like, if you think I'm struggling with this, but nobody else struggles, that is an, that's an absolute lie from the devil. It's an absolute lie from the enemy. Uh, there is somebody else that struggles. Again, our struggles may be unique to us in the ways that we experience them or, or, or the things that lead us into them, trigger us into them, tempt us into them, all of those kind of things, right? So we are unique in that way, but, but all of us struggle. And and we all have, uh, you, you know, our uh, common struggles. We all have common struggles. So often if it's like I'm the only person in all of uh, time or, or in, this, in this faith community that struggles with that one thing, um, I'm more than willing to bet. I'm more than willing to put some money on it. You are absolutely not the only person that struggles with that. There are others out there that are struggling with what you're struggling with, right? And so, uh, so again, don't don't feel defeated. Uh, we are all in this journey of of coming alongside and 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 seeking after Jesus in a in a more life defining way, day after day. And so, the 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 gift of obedience, the blessing of obedience, as we said last week, is that. As we are obedient, it doesn't earn us God's favor. He already loves you. Loves you more than you know, more than you deserve, more than I know, more than I deserve. God already loves you. But the blessing of obedience is that we are, we grow in confidence of God's love. We grow in confidence of our relationship with the Father, that we are secure in him, that he loves us, that he'll never stop loving us. And and which leads us, you know, in, into this week, right? So this week we looked at the um, the unworthy servant. It's a, it's a tough little parable in Luke. And, uh, and so Jesus is acknowledging the broken power dynamic of this age. And he talks about a master and a servant, or uh, depending on your translation, a master and a slave. And he says, no master, no master would invite his servant to eat with him at, the, at a table. Uh, and, and said he would say to his servant, you, you know, go get dressed. You've already been working. You've already been working. But now it's time for you to go get dressed properly to serve me. You'll serve me my dinner. And after I'm done, then you will eat. Right. Um, and, and so Jesus, Jesus acknowledges that. But in verse 10, he, he pivots it back to you and to me. And that's really the, the crux point of this parable is verse 10, where he says, he talks to us and he reminds us that we are the unworthy servant. Right. Um, when, when we then would go to the one who commanded to us. So Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience there in that context. And he's saying to them, you are, who is the one who commanded you? Well, who's the one that gave the 10 commandments? It's, it's God. So when God gave you those and you say, well, look, we followed the commandments. It's God, God goes, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Um, I gave this to you. I told you to do them. They're good for you. 
you're supposed to do them. Why do you want some sort of like extra blessing, right? Why do you want a double blessing? Or why do you think you deserve some sort of special accolade for doing the bare minimum that I told you to do? And so Jesus is coming into the back door of his audience's life and uh, to their lives and to their hearts. And he's trying to, rem- he wants to, he wants them to have the, a self-examination moment to say, oh, we are the unworthy servant. We are the one who is uh, below, subjugated, subordinate to um, the master. And the master here is our Father in heaven. Now, this is kind of a tough parable. It doesn't always land well with a modern audience, just the structure of it, how Jesus is talking about the power dynamic and our modern consciences on the topic of equality and different things like that, our modern, even our, our modern stomachs for, for that sort of cultural dynamic. Um, but it's interpreted then in the light of who we know the Father to be throughout the rest of the scriptures. And, and we are overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly see the Father as this lovingly good uh, figure, right? God is loving. He is kind. He is steadfast. He is trustworthy over and over again. So we highlighted then Jesus' teaching in, again in Matthew chapter 7 on the Father, the good, our good Father who hears us when we pray and gives us good things. And we understand that because we who are evil do the same thing, right? We give our kids uh, good things. And so if we are evil and we understand that, how much better is our Father in heaven and how much better are his gifts, his provision for us? And so so we, we wrestle with that, this idea of being the unworthy uh, servant here this morning. We contrasted that of, of again, um, the Father and the Son, ultimately, they, they, they humble themselves uh, to serve us, even though we are in position to serve them. And so this first question comes in and says, uh, if we are called to think of ourselves less often, that's the definition of humility. It's not thinking of yourself less or less of yourself. Thinking not, Humility is not thinking of yourself less. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, I always stumble over this one. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? So putting yourself down, demeaning yourself, degrading yourself. Um, it is thinking of yourself less often. It's thinking of others first and foremost. So if we are called to think of ourselves less often, but live in a world that increasingly takes advantage of that lifestyle, how do you avoid burnout? That's a great question. It's a great question. And we said, one of the things we said this morning is that humility is not to be, uh, or people that are humble, marked by humility, we're not to be doormats, uh, right? Just to be walked all over without boundaries. Jesus was not a doormat. Jesus does not acquiesce to sin. Jesus is not party to sin. Uh, Jesus Jesus says, has some really strong words uh, for the Pharisees and for uh, I mean for all people really right. So not just the Pharisees. We often see his interaction with the religious leaders and he's is very contentious because they are very contentious towards Jesus. You know, but Jesus also doesn't mince mince words with uh, the Samaritan woman or with Zacchaeus or with Levi, right? I mean, he's calling their sin sin. He has a hard message, but he he brings it with grace, and he 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 engages in the fullness of relationship. And so, uh, Jesus, who is the the model, the 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 perfect expression of divine humility and grace, right? Because that's who he is. Um, you know, we see in him this this deep humility, but he's not a doormat. He doesn't get walked over. And so I think uh, the key to not getting burnt out when we are humble people is one, look, even we're called to serve others, but we're not called to serve everyone, every time, in every place. Uh, it's often a challenge of our, our digital society 
where we are exposed to all kinds of hurt and, and trauma and, and brokenness and you go, okay, I need to help, I need to help, I need to help. There, there are times where you just need to say, I can't help right now, right? You have to have healthy boundaries. You have to have healthy boundaries in relationships. Um, we, we don't allow manipulation. We don't allow disrespect, you know. Um, like when, we, when you're raising your kids, you have boundaries for how you treat one another. In relationships and friendships, you have boundaries for how you treat one another and speak to one another. And so uh, Jesus even gives us, he gives us the, the, the conflict resolution plan in Matthew chapter 18 for among, among believers, among, among brothers and sisters, that we are to forgive one another. And then there's this whole escalation deal, right? When, when, you're, when you confront your brother and they don't you know, repent, then go and bring a witness. And, and it, it keeps accelerating it and escalating it because we're not really good at the whole forgiving each other freely thing that God offers to us. And so, um, so how, do we, how do we remain humble um, is that we just, we, we, we put in place godly boundaries. Right? We're not going to be disrespected. We're not going to be yelled at. Um, we can't go and do all the things all the time, right? We're, our bodies aren't physically designed for that. They need rest. That's why God gave us the Sabbath, um, that we need to rest on the Sabbath. We need to be refilled on the Sabbath. And so we don't have to be rude when we put when we uh, when we establish boundaries. We don't have to be jerks when we establish boundaries. Um, but we just uh, that is that's that's the only way to prevent burnout is to um, is to establish and 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 walk in healthy boundaries, right? Um, and so that's uh, for each person those things. You've got your situation and your scenario. We've got to work out those things in our own scenarios. But but that's the idea here of uh, of. We need to make sure that we've got to have boundaries. And if we don't have, if we don't put boundaries in place, then we just perpetuate unhealth and we get burned out. Uh, the next question here is a is a question of of Catholic theology. Actually, it says the Catholic Church has a doctrine of extra merit that can be earned and saved up in a piggy bank. How does Jesus' parable of the unworthy servant speak to that? And this is a really interesting question. Um, simply is that uh, the parable of the unworthy servant reminds us that we're unworthy, right? And it reminds us that us doing what God commanded to us, us to do is the bare minimum. Like the servants that said, hey, we've done what you've told us to do. Give us extra blessings. Uh, Jesus is saying no, no master, no one in charge would ever say, oh yeah, I'm going to give you extra because you did the bare minimum, right? And, and so he then turns it in verse 10 back to us and he says, so, so the one who's commanded to you you wouldn't go to him and you'd say, hey, look, we've done the bare minimum. Give us extra, right? So Jesus is speaking and he's saying, yeah, the commandments were good, but but if you think that you deserve something extra because you've been obedient to the commandments, you've done the bare minimum. And your very life here, uh, or you know, your very existence, you would never demand that of somebody in charge of you, right? I've done the bare minimum. I want double payment, <laughs> you know? And so, again, Jesus is is using it to put a magnifying glass on our lives and to go, um, if you think you've kept all the commandments, by the way, you haven't. <laughs> uh, so when you think you've kept all the commandments, you've only done the bare minimum. But in reality, you haven't even done the bare minimum because you haven't kept the commandments. And and so, um, so again, so Jesus is saying, like, uh, the, you don't get extra merit here. You know, there, there aren't extra blessings for you here uh, by doing the bare minimum. If you could even say you did the bare minimum, which, by the way, you can't say you did the bare minimum because you've broken the commandments. 
And, and, and yet our Father in heaven, in contrast, he has come to serve us through his Son, Jesus, who literally laid his life down for us. So not only do we not do the bare minimum, but then God says, I love you so much that even though you didn't do the bare minimum, and because you didn't do the bare minimum, right, you can't even say, I earned your favor. I earned God's favor. I earned his love. We didn't even do the full minimum. We didn't even do the bare minimum. Uh, we, we've done less than that. And yet God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son uh, that he would die for you. He'd take your place, take your pain, take your punishment, bear your shame so that you can have his honor. And so, so again, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, salvation is a work of grace, a gift of grace by God, given by God through faith, not a, not a work uh, that you and I do, right, so that no man can boast. And so, uh, so the idea of this extra merit, the theology or the doctrine of, of extra merit, uh, just really doesn't, it doesn't play here. It doesn't play really in the scriptures as a whole. And, uh, and, and it definitely doesn't play here in, this, in, in the parable of the unworthy servant, because what Jesus is exposing is that we are the unworthy servant, right? We haven't even done the bare, and, and if we want to really want to dig into it, we haven't even done the bare minimum of what God has commanded us. Uh, we broke the commandments. We rebelled. And yet our Father in heaven loves us so much that he would send his very son. And his son, by the way, Hebrews 12, 2, would joyfully walk to the cross, would joyfully take on that, that, that mission so that you and I can be redeemed. And so, yeah, so there's, the, the scriptures don't, don't really allow for the doctrine of extra merit to, to, to persist. Uh, final question here. We talked about pride. So uh, the, the key idea here is that uh, radical servanthood, uh, because Jesus is a, is a radical servant. Uh, the father is a radical servant. Um, this radical servanthood, the, the one who does not need to be served is serving. Uh, that's that's the way of the father, the way of Jesus. They are one. They're, they're, they're of the same accord. So uh, the way of the Father and the way of the Son is radical servanthood. That is now the way of the kingdom. If you are in Christ, you are to be known by that, known for that. In order to be a radical servant, one who really truly cares for others first, then and then you, you need to be somebody who is humble, right? So that's where we said, you know, humility is... Uh, thinking not doesn't humility humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less often and, and so the converse of that what God wants to root out of us as he builds us up into humility is pride God wants to root out pride which makes us number one it's the it's the power dynamic of the world you need to be number one you need to be on top uh, it is more important to be served than it is to serve, right? And so this next question comes in and talks about, uh, you talk about the sin of pride today, saying that pride means full of deceit. And, and really what we, we talk about with pride there is uh, often uh, what the Bible talks about when it talks about pride as a sin is that it talks about pride as a deceiving sin. It talks about uh, one where we are deceiving ourselves in pride, which has disastrous consequences. And so in our world, we often hear the word pride thrown around on a daily basis as this bold, brave characteristic to embrace as part of your personal value. And, and famously here, we are, we are in June, which uh, this is Pride Month. And so they go on to say this month, especially we are hearing this word and seeing rainbow flags everywhere. Uh, what is the best way for Christians to respond to this outcry for pride in the world when, when we especially know for here, June, what it's attached to, um, the, the sexual sins that accompany the pride movement are clearly against God's intentions for his creation? Well, I think one, um, 
when we talk about sexual sins, we have to talk about, we have to recognize that all people are sexually broken, right? And so, yeah, we're in this intense, we are in the intense moment. The Pride Month here is June. We're seeing, we're seeing it all over the place. And, and so if you are holding to a, if you hold to a biblical ethic of sexuality, right, this is very, this is very jarring, right? Where you go, man, God created something that was good and, and we continue to distort it. And again, um, I think it's a natural lesson for us. It's a natural lesson for us to be reminded, like, this is what pride does. Pride is a, it distorts things. It deceives us. It causes us to, to think far too highly of ourselves and then to walk into disastrous and destructive, uh, all kinds of different disastrous and destructive behaviors. So I think the first and foremost call here is that when we see something like this culturally that causes us to pause or forces us to pause, the proper, the proper primary response is to ask the Holy Spirit to root out pride in me, right? If we can see its disastrous and destructive consequences on society as a whole, well, that's good. But God doesn't want us just to see it on society as a whole. He, he wants us to give him our hearts. So let us lay our hearts down before him. Let us lay our you know, our propensity for pride, our propensity uh, to put ourselves as number one um, in, in different areas. It might not be in the area of sexual um, sin for you. It might be in uh, a, a whole other number of areas. But but where in your life are you holding on to pride? And I think the second question then is, well, how do we, how do we walk in that, right? So the, the question they literally asked was, um, in our world, we hear the word pride thrown on a daily basis is bold, brave, characteristic. Um, what is the best way for Christians to respond to this outcry for pride in the world? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.12 that we are to live such good lives uh, so that the, the Gentiles or the, the, the pagans is the actual, the actual word translated literally into Greek would be pagans. It, he means Gentiles. He's speaking of those who do not fear God. He said, so Live such good lives so that the Gentiles among you, those who do not fear God, would see that there's something different about you. And, and so how do, we, um, how do we deal with this? How do we live uh, in this? How do we um, walk in this world um, that is throwing this, telling us like, you need to be prideful. You need to make sure that you're number one. You need to be seen. You need to be heard. What's, what's, what's really ironic here is that we actually have culturally, we have two different voices. One telling us that our desires are our greatest good and we need to walk in and, and, and hold to our desires and we need to embrace and we need to affirm and we need to enable our desires and we need to run after our desires. And then we, have, then we have another cultural voice that tells us that our rights and our liberties and our freedoms are the greatest thing. And so we need to run wholehearted after those and all kinds of things. And, and, and really at the center of those arguments, both of those arguments, which culturally are, 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 are structured or, or portrayed culturally, that they're going in opposite directions, they're actually running after the same thing. And that's, that, that is rooted in pride, rooted in my, you know, me elevating myself above others. Now, we don't have to, we're not going to get into, we don't have time here on the podcast to get into the philosophical discussions of freedom and all those kind of things. Um, but we, we as Christians should be very, very careful of that line, of the line of pride, because we'd so easily deceive ourselves in, in, in that, in that area. And so, um, so if we are, how are we going to live? How are we going to interact in this world? I think is is to focus on being humble, 
right, is to focus on pursuing the way of Jesus so that when we are among our neighbors who do not know Jesus, they're going to see something is distinctly different about this person, right? When we are putting others first, when we're not demanding our way, right, when we're not operating the way that the world sees as this prideful, as a bold, brave characteristic, um, right, that is often, you know, thrust upon us, right, I think we can all come to the place where we, we begin quickly to feel how that is so very unlivable. So let's, let's live in a way that shows that there is a, a much better way to live. So what is the best way for Christians to respond to this outcry for pride in the world? I think it's just to live humble lives. Humble lives and let other people see that. And when you have open doors, talk about Jesus, the one who's transforming you, you know. And so um, when we talk about if, if the question here is about uh, how, do we, how do we engage in a, in a world that does not hold to Christian values on the whole anymore, that's a, that's a bit of a different question, right? But it comes back to, again, uh, what Peter has to say. It's, it's about the substance of our lives, the, uh, the consistency of our obedience, that well, people will begin to see that something is genuinely true and different about us, they become interested in that. And I think, honestly, the more that we... Uh, hold to the way of Jesus, uh, what others will see in us as we do that is they will see in us a existence that is far more livable, far more healthy, far more enticing and, and attractive than anything that the world offers. And the reason for that is because we believe that in Jesus there is the abundance of life. And, and yeah, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to come up where the gospel is offensive, right? Because the gospel calls us out of our sin, calls us out of our pride, calls us out of our arrogance. Jesus calls us out of every area of sin, not just not just the ones that we, we might be culturally, uh, you know, on main stage culturally for us. He's calling us out of sin in every area of our lives. And so, uh, so again, I think, how do we respond to when the culture does not reflect the values of the kingdom? Well, let's live the values of the kingdom out, and in that way, as people watch us, watch our lives, they will begin to see something that is far more livable, far more sustainable, far more attractive, and far more enjoyable um, because it is rooted in the one who is ultimately and truly good. So uh, love these questions. Love wrestling through these questions. Jesus, again, uh, parable of the un- unfaithful uh, or un- 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 unworthy servant here gives us a very difficult parable to understand, but in that he comes into the back door of our lives and forces us to examine uh, just our propensity for pride and, and gives us a crystal, a much more clarified picture or a clear picture of the value of humility within the kingdom because he ultimately served us when we do not deserve it. So, well, love your questions, love engaging the scriptures this way with you. We will see you next Sunday.